Hey guys, it's me, Nancy Jane Smith. Welcome back to The Happy Approach, the show that pulls back the curtain on the need to succeed, hustle, and achieve at the price of our inner peace and relationships. Today is the day we get to meet the final and my favorite character of The Happy Approach cast. In our Yellow Brick Road analogy, she's like Glenda, the good witch, kind, encouraging, and somewhat elusive. She's not the type to let you off the hook. She'll still make you walk all the way through the magical land of Oz just to learn that the key to happiness was clicking together the shoes you were wearing the whole time. I'm talking about my wise, self-loyal, biggest fan. Like I've mentioned in earlier episodes, for a really long time, I believed I needed the monger to motivate me. I needed to be mean and belittling to myself, or I wouldn't accomplish any of my goals. But lucky for me, my husband Doug has a big Glenda the Good Witch vibes. When my monger is running the show, he's pretty much the real world human version of that kind, self-loyal voice of the biggest fan. Doug and I were both in the basement. He was working and I was riding the exercise bike, listening to a highly successful marketing expert talk about what I should be doing to market my business, building a network, reaching out to people and sharing what I do. That would all require me to put myself out there and be a little more extroverted, which I hate. But by the time I hopped off the bike, the marketing expert had motivated me. While I did some post-workout stretches on the floor, I shared what I learned with Doug. I even shared how I was going to make it happen. Doug didn't say much. He just nodded along and listened intently. After our chat, I walked the two flights back upstairs to start my day. By the time I'd showered and dressed and parked myself in front of my computer in my home office, my monger had started talking. You suck at networking. You are terrible at it. What do you have to share? Why would someone want to listen to you? You'll seem so pushy and annoying, like one of those horrible salespeople. Ugh, this is going to be awful. As soon as my monger was finished, my BFF stepped in. Screw this so-called expert. This is just her opinion. What does she know? Let's just keep doing what we're doing. Passive marketing. That's where it's at. By the time my monger and BFF were done duking it out, I felt totally stuck. So I ventured back down the two flights of stairs to talk with Doug about it. I shared my doubts and the conversation in my head. And again, he quietly listened. Finally, he said, do you think networking more would help? And I said, yes. And then I started in again, describing the debate between the monger and the BFF. He cut in and replied, stop. If you think it'll help, then go figure out how to do it. You can totally do this. Just stop debating. He gave me a hug and turned back to his work. With Doug's back to me, I stood there stunned and a little pissed off. I turned around and walked upstairs with tears in my eyes. That wasn't the response I wanted. I didn't want to take action. Taking action was scary. I wanted to keep debating. I wanted more coddling, more sweetie. I know it's hard. And what I really wanted to hear was, you don't have to do this. You can stay small and still run a business. Basically, you don't have to believe in yourself. Believing in myself is something I struggle with. And when I talk about self-loyalty, this is it in a nutshell. Being able to have your own back. Intrinsically, 
knowing that you are enough and that you'll find your way. When I'm striking out on my own, putting myself out there and doing new things that scare me, it's particularly hard to tap into that self-loyal biggest fan voice. What if you fail? My monger says. What if everyone rejects you and your ideas? And that makes me wonder. If I have trouble pushing myself to face potential failure and rejection, how do people who have to face rejection over and over in order to do what they love motivate themselves to keep going? How do they learn to embody that wise voice of the biggest fan? I've been acting since, since I was 10. My dad was a film composer. My mom was an opera singer. So I guess that's where I got it. <laughs> this is Victor Warren. He's made a living as an actor, writer, and director since the early 90s. I've done some directing and some writing, a bunch of screenplays, playing the try-to-make-a-movie thing in Hollywood for a while. So what, what made you want to be an actor? Do you have, like, an acting origin story? I have a Charlie Chaplin cane that you can't see that's hanging on the wall right here that when I was, I think, around 10... Uh, my birthday gift was a Charlie Chaplin cane and a clown nose. And it was like, that's it. That's it. And, you know, I mean, I did my imitations of Charlie Chaplin. My mom did operas at Cal State University Northridge. And Dr. Scott, who was the head of the department, was conducting the opera and wanted me to do it. And he asked me to do it and sing it in front of everybody. And I just laughed hysterically and couldn't do it. And then a year later... They did an opera that was only like, there were only like six roles, and there was a pants roll um, that's normally paid by a woman, but my voice hadn't changed yet. And I got to be in that, I got cast, and I, I learned the part, and I played it, and I was with these college students, you know, that went on to sing at the Met. But living in that world where, you know, I just, I loved the world of it. I'm an artist. So I want to, through whatever story or medium I'm doing, I want to affect someone with the possibility of hope and change in their own lives, which leads me, I mean, granted, I'll take a job, you know, <laughs> I, I will be a serial killer, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever needs to be done. But in the bottom line, I want to reflect back to somebody who's engaged in it. But being an artist and an actor means Victor's had to deal with rejection a lot. He is constantly putting himself out there. It's basically a part of his job. I did a small reoccurring on General Hospital for a little bit, which was great. Uh, it was great driving on a lot and Mr. Warren right this way. And, and, and with soap operas, you basically get somebody else's dressing room who's not working. So I had somebody else's big dressing room and, it, and uh, I thought, oh, yeah, this is great. Look. And then the job's done. And then you don't work. I, I'm kind of a character lead. So I'm like a Tom Hanks or a Michael Keaton kind of thing. But I'm not a leading. Like, they didn't know what to do with me. They didn't know how to cast me. Even though Victor didn't fit into some of those Hollywood roles, he kept going. He carved out a niche for himself over the years doing TV commercials and voiceovers. For me, it all boils down to focus. Blood. My father made them. It's my turn to think of the I started working. I kind of hit a stride and men made, you know, not a killing, but consistent money that I could support. 
Who's in charge of lunch? You are. And these are the Mortons. But it, it's, I mean, I'm still doing this. There are so many people that just basically have given up. And they're, I mean, I'm talking phenomenal, amazing actors, talented beyond belief, who just got to a certain point where I got to raise my kids, I got to do this thing, I'm going to sell insurance, and I'm done. I'm done. I just, I've been fortunate enough that I've kind of been able to just keep going. I mean, granted, you have those moments of like, holy fuck, I just, I sucked at that. Or, you know, you just wonder, because no one, it's not like somebody's going, here, good job. God, you're great. You know, you're, you, you're doing it on your own. And you have to find your own support mechanism. There's something in me that I'm struck to use profanity. To, uh, you know, just fuck it. I'm doing what I'm fucking doing. And granted, you want people to go, oh, good job, good job. But it's like, I'm doing this. This is what I'm doing. And you're not going to stop me because I'm going to do it anyway. And I don't know where in my genetic pool makeup that comes from. And I've gotten better at, I have to trust the fact that they're, that I'm doing what I'm doing for some reason and just keep one foot in front of the next. Would you say that you're, you kind of motivate yourself to keep going, even though there's rejection? I'm just going to ask, how do you motivate yourself to keep going? I need to create opportunity for myself because I love doing it. You know, I'll never not do it. Like, you know, people talk about retiring, even actors who work all the time. They, But I, I just, I mean, the only reason I wouldn't do it is because I physically, mentally couldn't. But you look at somebody like, you know, still working, all those older actors like Anthony Hopkins in The Father right now. Oh, my fucking God. He's, he's just gorgeous. I mean, it's the craft and... He, I, I want to be that. It's kind of like me looking at those people when I did the opera. I want to do that. I want to be that person. And the only way I can do it, because I don't have those opportunities, is just to keep going. So what do you think separates you from the people that are like, I'm done, I can't do it anymore? Yeah, again, it's just I'm not, I'm never not going to do this. I, don't, I can't see myself being me and not doing this. Would you say you have a biggest fan? If I have a biggest fan, it is yourself being your own biggest fan. Yeah, because I would describe, I mean, how you have described, like, handling the rejection, all of that, to me, is a super self-loyal way of, this is how I want to be, you know, I have to do this. Like, this is, I'm, I got to figure out a way. I mean, I think, it, which I hadn't really thought about till we've just had this conversation, but I think the... Uh, the analogy or the things that I put together of Anthony Hopkins and my, that thing when I was 11, 12 years old doing the opera is very resonant right now in me based on our conversation just now. So um, I, I'm sure I'll, I feel all emotional now. Um, My friend Paul Racy, who is now, he's nominated for Best Supporting Actor this year in Academy Awards for this role that's perfect for him. I was in a play uh, a few years back with Paul, 
and we became friends. And he, he's older, but we're backstage doing this show. That's a beautiful show, but you know he's saying, you know, look, uh, you know, I'm I'm done. I'm done. I do these one-line things. I don't work. I'm done. I'm finished. This is it. Going on and on about. I'm forget it. Fuck it. I'm done. No more rejection. One-line pimp roles. I'm, I'm over. Done. And he gets his role. That is perfect for him. And he is going to the Academy Awards. I mean, it, it obviously gives you hope. But you know, not that I'm going to go to the Academy Awards. But whatever it is that makes things happen somehow out of the quintessimal fragments of existence that galvanize into that moment that creates a lifelong opportunity, I think has to derive itself from the motivation of not giving up and I'm going to get it done. Because if Paul did give up, he never would have gotten that. So do you think that that idea of having your own back and, you know, kind of that biggest fan thing we've talked about is important? It's the only way you can sustain yourself, especially for an artist. I mean, granted, I guess someone who works in sales would need the biggest fan to say, I can talk to my boss about this new idea. You know, there there's different versions of it. But as an artist, definitely... I mean, especially if you're an actor, it's all just you, you, you. If if you can't help yourself and be your own biggest fan, it'll be much more difficult to succeed. Or succeed is not the right word, to continue doing what you do. Yeah, I mean, I would say that probably most of these other actors I know who had to give up to financially make money, to support their kids, to do certain things... I mean, if they had their biggest fan or they had some something along those lines that kept them motivated on, on track, even though they had to do these other things, they probably wouldn't have given up completely. I think what gets you out of it is making a choice and stepping forward because what's stopping you is the lack of inertia, the feeling of, I just want to pull the covers up over my head and don't bother me. And so it's, you know, throwing the sheet off and stepping out and taking a shower and saying, just keep going. Is there anything that the fear of rejection kept you from pursuing? No. Well, I've, I've learned in the past, and I think it's been a, a learned thing, is that you can't make any choices based on fear. And I think that's a piece of it. So, no, I've never not done anything because I was afraid. Somehow we are all unique. We all deserve the, the possibility to empower ourselves to be and do whatever we want. And I think it is a question of trusting and letting that happen and not questioning it and not being afraid of it but just moving forward through it you know it sounds so simple or uh, just you you have to you have to live your dream 
I am struck that self-loyalty for you is just is a way of being in the world and I think that's why it it isn't something that's separate from you it isn't you know I mean it's a voice but it isn't like it's just like you kind of ooze ooze it it's just who you are it feels like it, it is a protective coat I've created to wear for myself at a young age and I think I've just worn it and yeah it's part of me just putting one foot in front of the other trusting in yourself enough to know that you'll make it to your next goal that you'll keep getting to do what you love despite the potential for rejection that is the voice of the biggest fan in action like I told Victor I'm still learning how to trust that voice enough to put myself out there, to do the things that scare me, like learning how to network and market my business. So last we left off, I was in the middle of a meltdown, in tears that Doug, my husband, and the external voice of my biggest fan had kindly, but firmly, told me to just get to work. By the time I'd rounded the corner of our second floor and headed back into my office, I thought, he's right. Really? That was the kind kick in the butt I needed. The tears weren't about him insulting me. The tears were because he was right and I was scared. To be fair, this was a different version of kindness than my husband's usual go-to. Usually he leans more toward the coddling. Oh, sweetie, I know it's hard perspective. But every now and then, this different style of kindness comes out that is more genuine. It's tough love. It's you know how to put one foot in front of the other and you can do this. That is the voice of the biggest fan. She says, it's going to be hard. It's going to be stressful. And you can do it. No shame. No belittling. No beating me up like the monger. But also, no chocolate, no hours of watching bad TV and making myself feel better by judging other people like my BFF. On that day, Doug personified my biggest fan. He was kind, genuine, and to the point. He's the biggest fan that exists outside of me and reminds me to check in with my internal biggest fan. All right. I think that will pick up his panting, actually. You gotta hold it up here. So we get less of the panting. Less panting, more riffing. Okay, so... So being the biggest fan in Nancy Jane Smith's life is... It's unique because she's kind of stubborn, and therefore there's the battle of the BFF and the monger, and then there's, like, a really stubborn that I want to keep this battle going. And... It can be risky, but you just got to be like, hey, stubborn lady, stop in all this entanglement of arguing and get to work because you know you need to get to work. There's a lot of shame in the fact that my monger and BFF have ruled the day. And then when you come in to say it, you're walking a very, you know, a floor covered in mines. to get to the point where I'm going to be like, oh, he's not attacking me. He's really wants what's best for me (laughs) and is lovingly encouraging me versus you are... I'm not cracking a whip over here. I think that there are definitely... It's not like you are a success 
And this is oh, no. because it's so hard. It's not like you're a success at it all the time being my biggest fan. Right. And which is why I chose stubborn as well, because it's not like I know what's best. I'll just kind of poke and ask. I'm not forcing anything on her. I'm not saying you have to progress and do this way. I'll just be like, hey, I've noticed this taking place. (laughs) And I know you have also. So what's up with that? What do you how would you describe the biggest fan? I mean, the biggest fan is that that kind voice of reason that tells you what to do. That's how would you describe the biggest fan? You just mimicked it back to me. That's what I say. How would you describe the biggest fan? You just... No, it's, it's the one that makes sense. It's the one that is going to give you the most benefit, not only now, but most likely in the future as well. It's, if, if there is such thing as a right choice, it's guiding you towards that right choice based on your morals and your values and your experience like that's that's your biggest fan and you have to believe that your biggest fan is going to be making those right choices or it doesn't quite work (laughs) like you gotta be like yes my biggest fan knows me i believe my biggest fan and together we're doing this and that's exactly what i did as i sat down at my desk and started building a networking list i could hear my internal biggest fan reflecting back what doug told me You say you want to build a bigger business. You say you think building a network is an important next step. You say you're scared. Understandable. Both are true. So let's do this. That's it for this week. In our next episode, we're going to pull back from the nitty-gritty of the Happier Approach characters and zoom out to see how we can integrate everything we've learned about them on our own journey to self-loyalty. First stop, feelings. How do feelings translate into action? Can emotions have an impact on our physical as well as our mental health? We'll dive into all that next time on The Happier Approach. The Happier Approach is produced by Nikki Stein and me, Nancy Jane Smith. Music provided by Pond5 and Epidemic Sound. For more episodes, to get in touch, or to order a copy of my book, The Happier Approach, you can visit live-happier.com. And if you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. It actually helps us out a lot. Special thanks to Victor Warren for speaking with us today. You can learn more about Victor and follow his work at victorwarren.com. The Happier Approach will be back with another episode in two weeks. Take care. Until then.